Hello and welcome to this podcast series titled Literature and Disease. My name is Abhishek Pari. I teach English at IIT Madras. And in this particular session, I'm going to talk about Virginia Woolf's essay on being ill. It's one of her less known works and I'm going to attempt to study it uh, through an interdisciplinary perspective, through medical humanities, through psychology, and obviously from critical theory as well. Uh, so at the very outset, we need to take a look at this particular essay in terms of its location and Wolf's writing. Uh, so Wolf, as we all know, was you know very very concerned with the idea of illness, and that's something which comes keeps coming back in our fiction, whether it's Mrs. Jalloway, uh, whether this particular essay, and also in other of our uh, non-fictional writings. Now the reason why I've chosen this essay is because it sort of stands out in Wolf's over of writing, uh, in terms of foregrounding a phenomenon which is quite strange. I mean, the whole idea of illness and how um, illness becomes uh, almost a representational category in, you know, in terms of how Wolf looks at it. And I've titled this session is, you know, On Being Ill, and I look at this particular essay uh, from the perspective of defamiliarization. In other words, how, uh, how does illness defamiliarize reality, the, the idea of the familiar reality, how does it become strange? It is production of strangeness that illness uh, brings in. Uh, so uh, I'm going to talk about the production of strangeness, experience of strangeness, and obviously the whole discourse of defamiliarization in terms of how that happens when the body becomes ill. Uh, but at the very outset, uh, we'll just start with the essay, and this is where Wolf almost complains how there is very little attention given, uh, especially literature, on illness. And she talks about how there are so many other aspects of human life which are duly covered, overtly covered, but when it comes to illness, uh, literature tends to shy away uh, from any engagement with the idea of the sick body or the sick mind or the the ill mind, shall we say. Now, one of the ways in which I look at this essay is I, I sort of think the wolf is talking about the idea of interrupted embodiment, and I'm quite interested in the idea of embodiment in terms of how uh, the body functions uh, in terms of how it connects to the reality around it. Right, the, the social conditions, the cultural conditions, how does the body navigate with, that, uh, with those, those conditions, the apparatus uh, around it. Now, one of the things the Wolf talks about in this essay is how there is a lot of attention, a lot of literary attention given to the mind, uh, the workings of the mind, uh, the, the magnificence of the mind, shall we say, and she refers to process writing in this respect. Uh, but then she says, you know, well, there's so much written on the, about the mind, about the melancholia, about the mysticism, about the romance of the mind. Uh, there is very little attention, if any at all, on the body, on the functioning of the body. Uh, the banality of the body, the mundane materiality of the body, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't get much attention at all. Whereas she says that is something that we should be talking about more often because that is something which is a, a constant... Uh, a part of uh, the process of becoming that we are becoming, unbecoming, and rebecoming. So, in a very interesting sense, this essay by Wolf seems to anticipate uh, a very post-structuralist idea of the self, uh, the self as a phenomenon, the self as a process, the self as an experience. And what happens to that experience when uh, the self becomes ill? So, and this is why my idea of defamiliarization comes in, the idea of illness as, uh, as an interruption, shall we say, of this seamless sense of the self that we constantly consume, the self as a seamless, endless activity. So what happens when that is uh, 
suddenly uh, decelerated uh, and defamiliarized. And Wolf talks about deceleration as well when she says that you know, when you're ill, uh, the world around you seems to slow down. Every movement seems to slow down, and and that forces you to pay uh, a renewed attention, a more intense attention uh, to the to, to everything that you see, and that sometimes can open up new perspectives that were hitherto denied to you. So, in a very strange way, illness almost becomes um, uh, an epistemic category, a, a privileged epistemic position for Wolf. You know, it just gives you a privileged perspective. Uh, in terms of your uh, recognition of reality, and I use the word recognition with a hyphen, and uh, you, you, you cognize reality again. Uh, the reality which you had endlessly and seamlessly confused suddenly becomes uh, uh, truncated, uh, suddenly becomes uh, decelerated, suddenly becomes uh, defamiliarized. Uh, and like you mentioned, this uh, this production uh, of defamiliarization, this production of uh, slowness and strangeness uh, is what makes illness uh, a very important uh, representational category. Right, so Wolf, uh, in this particular essay, she, she advocates in favor of you know, representations of illness and how illness can actually uh, generate a very different medium of representation, which is something which we don't quite have already. Uh, she talks about uh, how one of the challenges of writing about illness is how uh, there doesn't seem to be any template available. I mean, there's so many templates available in terms of writing about love, about ambition, about desire, about melancholia, uh, about so many other sentiments. But when it comes to illness, uh, the, the viscerality of illness, the, the bodily quality of illness is something that language doesn't seem to be able to grasp. In other words, um, there is a very uh, uh, cerebral quality about language, especially English language, and this is what Wolf talks about uh, in great details, this, this very cerebral intellectual quality about the language, which uh, doesn't quite give it the right kind of uh, uh, narrative structure to talk about something very, very embodied, something very visceral. Uh, and, and the viscerality of the body, the embodied quality of the body, is something which is uh, constantly foregrounded by illness. You know, you, you become more more aware of your body, uh, more sort of hyper aware of your uh, about your body, and and the body becomes more interesting. Whereas Wolf talks about how you know literature is endlessly um, engaged with the mind, as I just mentioned. Now, in that sense, this essay becomes quite uh, philosophical as well, and, and it's something which connects you uh, some of the current um, studies in neuroscience, which uh, does away with any dualism of the mind and the body, which is a very uh, Cartesian legacy uh, and European thought. Uh, and Wolf seems to uh, deconstruct it away. Wolf seems to debunk that myth that the mind is more important than the body which talks about how the the embodied idea of cognition, the embodied experience of cognition is something which should be uh, celebrated, something which should be highlighted, and that's something which language uh, should be able to do, but unfortunately it doesn't, you know, given how the grammar is set, given how uh, the apparatus of language is set. It is just so mind-centric. It doesn't quite engage with embodiment at all. Whereas illness is something which uh, really uh, foregrounds, like you mentioned, the, the, the viscerality of the body, the, the bodily quality of uh, the self, uh, and that just becomes a crisis in language because there's no such language to to represent it. So, in, in some sense, uh, illness also creates what we call in post-structuralism and uh, critical theory as an aporia, as something which cannot be represented, something which cannot be quite uh, completely conveyed. Uh, and this aporiatic quality about illness, uh, and this obviously connects to my idea of uh, 
interruption. It almost becomes um, a semi-ontological state that, you know, the normal ontological idea of the self becomes uh, defamiliarized and we don't quite have an ontology of the self. It becomes a, a suspension of the self. The self becomes suspended when you're ill. Uh, and this idea of suspension becomes interesting because, you know, th there is an anti-closure quality about suspension. There is um, an open-ended quality about suspension. It can just move into any kind of direction. And uh, because language Language is so, and this is where it really becomes interesting because language is so phallogocentric. Uh, you know, it just requires closures, it just requires a, a very closed uh, set of structures. So it is actually very, very um, incompatible with the idea of open endedness, which is caused by illness. Right, it's very incompatible with the uh, experience of open-endedness, the experience of uh, suspension. So there's a, there's a very fundamental incompatibility that Wolf uh, talks about in terms of how the English language is uh, structured, the, the very phallogocentric, the very male-centric, reason-centric uh, quality about language and how they're so inadequate in terms of understanding or engaging uh, with an embodied experience such as illness. So this is the uh, fundamental uh, framework of this essay. But obviously, Wolf uh, gives you a series of allusions. It talks about Shakespeare. She talks about uh, different other writers, Malami, John Donne, uh, Proust. Uh, but I think what the reason why I have chosen this uh, for the purpose of this particular podcast, Literature and Disease, uh, is that it tends to look at disease or illness as almost a privileged category of representation, as something which you don't normally get, right? There's a sense of uh, the uncommon uh, in illness. So the, the common consumption of reality is interrupted. The common knowledge of reality is interrupted. And you just, you're forced to take a more self-reflexive view. Uh, you just look back at your body. It just, the body becomes more interesting. The body becomes uh, you know, stronger. The body becomes more pervasive and the mind becomes uh, less interesting. Well, what this essay does, essentially, it completely breaks the binary between the mind and the body. And it sort of shows us that, you know, the whole idea of reason is, is is a fantasy. The whole idea of rationality is a fantasy. The reality is the body. Uh, we are our embodied selves. I mean, how all experiences are embodied experiences, right? So this entire idea of the the fantasy of reason is something which takes place in a, at a very cerebral level, which is not quite real because the real lies in a corporeal. Uh, and illness uh, flags up the corporeal quality of the self, which is uh, otherwise uh, submerged, uh, strategically submerged. Right. So, and, um, and this, again, this connects to very interesting uh, works in neuroscience today when it talked about someone like Antonio Damasio, uh, who talks about cognition being an embodied phenomenon and how he talks about emotion being a very important marker of cognition, uh, embodied emotion. And Damasio is obviously one of the leading neuroscientists in the world today. Uh, who has done some phenomenal work on uh, on emotion and cognition and embodiment, right? So this particular essay by Wolf seems to anticipate some of the current um, research in neuroscience, which obviously uh, undercut uh, the very core enlightenment philosophy of the dualism of the mind and the body, where the mind is always uh, uh, sort of on top, there's a very hierarchical understanding of cognition where we, what we understand by the mind becomes more important by default, whereas the body is more banal, is more mundane, is more animalistic, and hence it is to be less trusted. And of course, we know how this binary very quickly uh, connects to 
uh, a series of other binaries, man, woman, black, white, you know, European, non-European, whereas, you know, this whole idea, this whole hierarchy of one state being superior to the other state, it just gets endlessly replayed uh, across different different contexts, uh, different discursive contexts. Now, so what this essay does, um, and the reason why I think it's, it's an important essay for us today, is it gives you a very interesting, a very unique idea of cognition. Uh, what happens to the process of cognition when illness happens, you know, when you, you slow down, when everything around you slows down, you, uh, the, the machinery, the machine of your body slows down. And that is a moment where you are first to take up, you know, um, you recognize reality in a different way, uh, in, in a more decelerated way, in a more intense way, in a more uh, amplified way, shall we say. Everything becomes uh, louder, more intense. Uh, everything crystallizes into uh, a more condensed form, uh, which becomes more tangible. So again, the whole idea of corporeality and tangibility become very important markers of cognition aware. Right? Something which are otherwise uh, submerged, otherwise concealed uh, by the fantasy of reason. Right, so uh, this being uh, the philosophical framework, so let's take a look at some of the, uh, some sections from this essay in terms of how Wolf uh, appears to corroborate all this. So the very opening of the essay on Ming Il, she almost makes uh, a complaint that considering, and I'm quoting now, considering how common illness is, how tremendous the spiritual change that it, can, it brings, how astonishing when the lights of health go down, the undiscovered countries uh, that are then disclosed, what ways and deserts of the soul are slain light attack of influenza might bring to light, what precipices and, and lawns sprinkled with bright flowers a little rise of temperature reveals, what ancient and obdurate oaks are uprooted uh, in us in an act of sickness. You know, and she gives a long list of how things happen. And then you know, she concludes the sentence by saying, it is, it is strange, indeed, the illness has not taken its place with love, battle and jealousy among the prime themes of literature. Right now, what we need to pay attention to is the choice of metaphors the wolf um, offers at the very beginning. They're very special in quality, um, you know, undiscovered countries. So there's a there's a territorial quality about illness, and this is why it really becomes. Uh, uh, interesting in terms of how it connects to uh, critical theory, because you know one can t think about someone like Deleuze and the whole idea of re-territorialization, uh, or rather a remapping of reality. So your familiar spaces, a familiar sense of space, uh, becomes uh, you know, defamiliarized, and therein lies the quality of uh, re Right, so your understanding of space and time changes with illness, right? And therein lies the deterritorializing quality about illness, which obviously is linked to the uh, defamiliarizing quality. Uh, but the, the joke is, and this is what Wolf says, this is a very common phenomenon that illness is a very recursive phenomenon. All of us are ill at different points in our lives. And yet it is something which doesn't quite re receive the required attention, the, you know, the attention it deserves from literature uh, compared to, let's say, love or battle or jealousy which receives um, these are emotions which receive endless representations uh, in literature and she says i wonder why you know what is the reason you know, in terms of how there's a sense of shyness or reluctance uh, to represent illness and uh, she talks about as i mentioned um, that and there's always this incompatibility between how English language is structured and how 
the very embodied quality of illness um, um, gets played out and how the language that we know is not embodied in quality, it's not visceral in quality, it's more cerebral in quality. That's how it has been historically structured uh, in terms of its grammar. And this is what she writes, uh, and I quote him, uh, Wolf again, uh, people write always about the doings of the mind, the thoughts that come to it, the noble plans, how it has civilized the universe. They show it uh, ignoring the body in a philosopher's terrain, or kicking the body like an old leather football across leagues of snow and desert in the pursuit of conquest or discovery. Unquote. So again, the whole idea of discovery becomes um, a very cerebral um, condition. So it's nothing to do with the body at all. The body is relegated to something more uh, banal, something more material. Uh, and again, this this politics of privilege is obviously quite phallocentric because historically the body has always been associated with the female. The body is messy, the body is mutable, the body is irrational. Uh, these are the associations which have always historically been attached to the body. Uh, so obviously illness accentuates the messiness, uh, illness accentuates the viscerality, illness accentuates uh, the mutability of the body, right? And this accentuation uh, makes it even more incompatible in terms of the representational mechanism. Because language, uh, as Wolf goes on to say, uh, is essentially uh, phallogocentric in quality. Um, language is completely collusive uh, with the fantasy of rationality, right? And therein lies a difficulty in, in describing illness. But, you know, the reason why this essay can be read in so many different ways today, apart from the usual medical humanities uh, and philosophy of mind uh, ways, is also quite, it's a very rich essay to be read with critical theory. And as I just mentioned, Deleuze and Deleuze's idea of uh, deterritorialization and re-territorialization of reality. Uh, and that connects to Wolf's understanding of a recognition of reality, which is more which is more visceral, which is more uh, embodied, which is more amplified. Uh, and that's something which she talks about over and over again. Okay, um, and this is the bit, uh, and I'm going to quote it now, where she talks about the essential uh, incompatibility between uh, endless and the normal, common, uh, normative uh, orders of representation. Uh, she says, among the drawbacks, and I'm quoting, uh, among the drawbacks of illness as matter for literature, there is a poverty of the language. Uh, English, which can express the thoughts of Hamlet or the tragedy of Leah, has no words for the shiver and the headache. It has all grown one way. The merest schoolgirl, when she falls in love, has Shakespeare, Don, Keats to speak in mind for her. But let a sufferer try to describe uh, a pain in the head to a doctor, and language at once runs dry. There's nothing ready-made for him. He is forced to coin words himself, and taking his pain on, his, on one hand and a lump of pure sound in the other, uh, so to crush them together uh, that a new, brand new word in the end drops out. Uh, unquote. So this is what I meant where uh, I said a little while ago that there seems to be, as Wolf studies, uh, an absence of template uh, to represent illness. There's no template at all. There's, there are endless templates for romance, for love, for fantasy, for ambition, for lust, for desire, for greed uh, in literature. And we have great classics written on these things. But when it comes to illness, something very basic like a headache, how do you represent it? How do you convert that into a representational category? Then that becomes almost a, a narrative crisis. Uh, and this gap is something that Wolf taps into. And she says, you know, we need to invent a medium of representation uh, which is uniquely suitable, uniquely compatible uh, to communicate illness. And this, uh, this is something she goes on to say, and I'm going to quote her again. 
Yet it is not only a new language that we need, primitive, subtle, sensual, obscene, but a new hierarchy of the passions. Love must be deposed in favor of a temperature of 104. Jealousy give place to the pangs of Skiatka, um, a sleeplessness play the part of villain, and the hero become a white liquid with a sweet taste, the mighty prince with the um, moth's eyes and the, and the feathered feet. Uh, one whose name is uh, Chloral, unquote. Uh, so um, uh, there's also a tongue-in-cheek humor um, uh, in this particular essay where she says, well, let influenza be the hero. Uh, let the temperature of 104 become more important than uh, the language of love. Uh, but the important point is she's arguing in favor of a new kind of language, which is more obscene, more sensual, more subtle, more primitive, more embodied in quality. Uh, and the anguish that she has away is obviously um, uh, a conviction that language as is normally commonly constructed and commonly consumed uh, is very rational in quality and obviously rationality is a fantasy it's a very male fantasy of control uh, of territorialization uh, of this constant production of closure so that's how language has always been constructed and consumed it must be um, closure centric it must be uh, rationality centric uh, so anything outside the rational framework becomes a problem for language and obviously illness becomes uh, an irrational condition uh, experientially medically as well as ontologically and so the irrationality of illness becomes uh, uh, part of the incommensurate quality, you know, it's not commensurate to, uh, you know, the normal procedures of representation, right? In other words, illness brings forth uh, or exposes the poverty of language in terms of how there's no language at all to represent the body. Uh, so, you know, it's a very complex essay if you think about it philosophically. There's so many different aspects that Wolf is bringing in. Uh, the phallocentric quality of language, uh, the embodied quality of cognition, and how the two are completely incompatible with each other, uh, which obviously uh, belies the fact that, you know, the, the, the claim that uh, language is the purest medium of representation, because, you know, language is obviously a construct, and that construct has always been done with a certain politics of privilege in mind, uh, an endless um, undercuts the privilege by foregrounding the body, foregrounding the, the phenomenality of the body, the, the viscerality of the body, which you know, there's no language to in terms of representing it. Okay, so, and uh, Wolf just goes on, and towards the end of the essay, uh, she talks about uh, how, uh, you know, endless becomes, uh, you know, an apparatic quality, and this apparatic quality is important, uh, apparatic in the sense that there is no mode of representation available it cannot be it cannot be crossed there's a there's a hiatus uh, about endless uh, there's an interruption an ontological interruption an experiential interruption which cannot be crossed right uh, and that's something which uh, and the wolf talks about uh, as a crisis as well as a, a, a potential uh, production uh, and she says you know if we are to really talk about illness if we are to really represent illness we must be able to invent a new kind of language uh, so disease must must generate its own kind of language which must break away uh, from the fantasy of rationality uh, so and this again she talks about this very episodic sudden quality this abruptness about illness something which requires a different uh, mode of representation and and this is what she says, and I'm going to quote uh, Wolf again. Uh, illness makes us disinclined for the long campaigns of prose exacts. We cannot command all our faculties and keep our reason and our judgment uh, and our memory at attention while chapter swings on top of chapter, uh, and as one settles into place, one must be on the watch for the coming of the next. Uh, until the whole structure, arches, towers, battle, battlements uh, stands firm on its foundation. 
right? Uh, and she says, you know, the, the episodic quality of illness must find a new form. It, you know, classic realism, sequential narrative mustn't, uh, it, it will not be compatible with illness. Uh, it will not be a sufficient medium uh, for illness. And then she goes on to um, uh, delineate some of the qualities of illness, some of the conditions, some of the cognitive experiential conditions of illness. Uh, and I quote again, uh, rashness is one of the properties of illness, outlaws that we are, and it is rashness that we chiefly need in reading Shakespeare. Uh, it is not that we should doff the intelligence in reading him, but that fully conscious and aware as fame intimidates us. And all the books, all the critics dull in us, that thunderclap of conviction, and nothing stands between us and him, which, if an illusion, it is so, still so helpful an illusion, so prodigious a pleasure, uh, so keen a stimulus in reading the great. Uh, Shakespeare is getting fly-borne. A paternal government might well forbid writing about him, as it put his monument at Stratford beyond the reach of scribbling pencils. Uh, so, again, the whole idea of uh, numbing down or, or dumbing down of uh, uh, you know, the real viscerality of language is something that Wolf seems to decry away. Uh, and she almost becomes uh, an advocate of rashness. She says, where well, illness brings forth rashness, illness makes us irrational, illness makes us rash, and rashness is one of the properties of illness. And because language, as is non commonly constructed and commonly consumed, is so uh, phallogocentric in quality, it is very anti-rash. It is uh, you know, pro-reason, pro-rationality. And that becomes, uh, again, a problem in terms of conveying rashness. Right, uh, so that becomes something which uh, you know, Wolf laments. You know the whole idea of uh, illness being uh, incommensurate with reality, uh, real language. But ironically, illness can sometimes offer us uh, glimpses of reality which are otherwise uh, lost to us. Um, you know something which don't quite open up before us. So just to wind up, uh, I feel this particular essay. It's a really rich essay in terms of looking at the, the ontology of illness, the experience of illness, and illness as a, an epistemic condition, a condition which can offer us a privileged perspective into reality, into a recognition of reality, shall we say, where things slow down, where things become decelerated, where things become defamiliarized. Uh, and this constant production of defamiliarization, which happens with illness, is something which... Uh, can take place uh, at, a, at a micro as well as at a, at a macro level. And just to conclude, I think this essay is interesting for us today because we have uh, what we can say a, a collective condition of illness today with this pandemic that is COVID-19. Uh, our knowledge of reality as we knew it uh, is interrupted, perhaps permanently. Uh, there's definitely be a sense of uh, deterritorialization. Our sense of space and time uh, has changed, perhaps permanently again. Uh, so we need a different medium of representation, uh, which uh, has to be more vigorous, which has to be more reflexive in quality, which, ha which has to be more cognitive in quality. And by cognitive, I mean uh, something which will engage with the embodied quality of cognition. Uh, you know, in terms of how we feel with our bodies, in terms of how we we know with our bodies, how we recognize reality with our bodies. Uh, so I think the, the ontology of illness, as Wolf studies it, uh, operates at a micro level, at a micro motor metabolic level, but also at a collective cultural level uh, as we experience it today. Uh, so I think the whole idea of illness being a very interesting condition of representation uh, becomes interesting because, you know, today we might be looking at a new medium of representation which might emerge 
emerge uh, out of this particular pandemic that we experience in today, which is less rational, perhaps less, you know, full of reason, because, uh, you know, the whole idea of rationality and reason, uh, you know, has been found wanting uh, against this particular pandemic, because there's no rational response to it that is possible. So all we can think about is all we can, uh, how we can engage with this is through an experience, uh, a very embodied experience. And that calls for an embodied mode of representation, which is something that Wolf is trying to advocate uh, in this particular essay. In other words, it, it deconstructs the dualism of the mind and the body. It deconstructs the, uh, you know, the whole the claim of privileged representation to the mind, to rationality, uh, and it sort of shows the poverty of that uh, mode of representation, the poverty of rational representation, the poverty of sequential representation, whereas illness brings in irrationality, uh, rationness, suddenness, immediacy, viscerality, uh, spontaneity. Uh, these are the categories which Wolf uh, seems to be celebrating, and she is giving almost a clarion call uh, for new modes of representation which must be brought in uh, to talk about these uh, experiential states, these ontological states. And as I just mentioned, uh, we have conclusion that, you know, the whole idea of illness can also become a, a macro category, a collective category, as we are seeing today, uh, where we don't quite know how to represent it, except maybe through our very embodied engagement uh, with this very defamiliarized reality around us. Because, you know, COVID-19 too uh, may be seen as an act of, uh, as an experience of defamiliarization, as a production uh, of defamiliarization, which requires is a different medium of representation from what we have known before. Uh, so I hope this session was helpful in terms of just triggering some ideas. Uh, so those of you interested to you know, know more about this, and I've referred to Damasio's work, uh, there are other people you can read. Uh, there's obviously William James, uh, one of the first philosophers on cognition and embodiment. Uh, there's obviously more recent works going on, Patricia Churchland's work, um, you know, on uh, the, the neuroscience of cognition, Eric Kendall's works, uh, and also um, you know the whole idea of uh, embodied, inactive, uh, embedded, and extended cognition. That's something which we see uh, in Andy Clark's works. But you know this essay by Wolf uh, is obviously it's not theoretical at all. It's a very experiential kind of uh, understanding of um, um, you know embodiment and the lack of any representational medium for it. So I think the the, the rawness in this essay, um, the complaint in this essay, the grievance in this essay that is there. It's a very interesting uh, take on realism, on a very interesting take on the relationship between language and disease. And that makes it very uniquely suitable for a, a, you know, a series like this, you know, talks about literature and disease. Uh, can we have a literature of disease? Uh, disease as defamiliarization of reality, uh, metabolic reality, medical reality, but also existential and more extended orders of reality, uh, if we just make a broad definition of disease. So what can be the perfect literature of the disease, and that's something the wolf talks about uh, in this essay. So I hope this session was useful. Um, you know, do get in touch with me if you have any more questions. Uh, feel free to email me, uh, and thank you again very much for your attention. Thank you.